This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Diversity at Facebook is a big issue. I asked Jacqueline Laurier how having a diverse workforce affects what Facebook creates. I think that it helps us understand a lot more who we're, who we're designing for and who's using our products. I think empathy is one of the biggest things that you learn um, when, when you're designing something. You try to design with empathy and it's really difficult to design from an empathetic place when you're surrounded by people that have the exact same experience that you have. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. Join more than 14 million people who use MailChimp to not only send email newsletters, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Start sending professional-looking newsletters to your clients today for free. Sign up at MailChimp.com. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and that's where Hover comes in. Choose your domain name from the hundreds of extensions out there and start building that new project for the new year that you've been waiting on. Use our promo code REVISIONPATH and you'll save 10% off your purchase. Speaking of savings, there's a sale in the Revision Path store. It's our first sale of 2017. So from January the 6th through the 12th, you can save 17% off everything when you use the promo code HAPPY17. That's H-A-P-P-Y-1-7, 17% off. I know it's a weird percentage, but it's 2017. What are you going to (laughs) do? Anyway, the offer ends on January 12th, and I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check that out. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're now up to a new record high of 41 patrons for a new record high total of $277 a month. Now, that is an amazing way to start off the new year. Thank you to all of the patrons that have pledged your support, especially for those of you that have pledged just recently over the holidays. I really, really do appreciate that. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Revision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, or if you've gotten any sort of value from listening, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes. We've got a patrons-only podcast that's really dope, and you get free Revision Path goodies as well. So just head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 a month and it's a really great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's go to this week's interview. I'm talking with architect and designer Aisha Densmore Bay. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Aisha Densmore Bay, and I am an architect. I'm trained as an architect, but I think of myself as just, well, not just, but a designer. I um, obviously I practice architecture, but I also do graphic design and lighting design and installations and film and kind of anything, (laughs) anything else I can get my hands on. So I really just think of myself as a designer. Okay. And I'm located here in Boston, Boston, Mass. 
And I want to go into, you know, like you said, that specific area of design, but I'm interested primarily in architecture because you got a really kind of early start. Like you went to a design and architecture high school. I did. I did. I went to design and architecture senior high in Miami. I'm a proud phantom. Love, 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 Dash. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I started, I moved, I'm originally from Connecticut. And so we moved to Miami in 1992, somewhere around in there. So I started actually my junior year um, at Dash and graduated from there. And it was an absolutely wonderful experience. It's something that, you know, I just hold. So it, it was basically, it was my foundation. And, you know, and I'm so glad that the school is continuing and, and they've had so many uh, wonderful designers to come out of that school. For example, my friend Chris, who graduated in my same class, you know, he designs for Chrysler and he designed for Mercedes Benz and all of that. So just a wealth of talent, you know, has come from that school. So I'm very, very proud. And actually, I think one of your, um, when I was reading, uh, you know, your blog, I believe I had an, a, a, another Dash alumni. Um, I forget his name. I'm sorry. He's based out in LA. And for some reason, his name escapes me at the moment. But yeah, he was part of your show. You interviewed him. So I looked, I said, oh, cool. Dash. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll have to go back and, and see who that is. I'm trying to Think who I interviewed that. Yeah, and I apologize because the name escapes me, but he does branding and he's actually doing an initiative um, for young black men. Um, oh, about... Maurice Woods. No, it wasn't Maurice Woods. It, it was, was another. No, it was. Oh, gosh. I, I really apologize because I should really have the name. So much so much is going on. In my mind is like box scramble right now, but he's out. He's based in L.A., um, his name begins with a V, Victor or something? Vaughn. Vaughn. It may be Vaughn. Vaughn it Dabney. Be, it, it may be Vaughn. I'll, I'll have to check again. But yeah, um, so he's doing it. From what I understand, he's doing an initiative about branding and black men and kind of, um, or young black men anyway, and, um, you know, just building their identity and place, you know, professionally. So nice. yeah, Dash. <laughs> Those are all that Dash alumni. So as a, as a teenager, what about architecture appeal to you? To be honest, I think it always did from from birth. There's this this kind of this weird um, ethos that goes on in design culture, but especially in architecture, where it seems and obviously this is not universal, but it's pretty common where if someone in your family was an architect, chances are you will be as well. And my uncle, uh, and he actually passed away before I was born, but he studied architecture. And honestly, when I grew up, I because I was always interested in art and creativity, and um, I didn't know to call it design back then, but I was always interested in it. And I thought that I was going to become an interior designer. That's what I thought I was going to do. And <laughs> to be honest, some day, I mean, I do practice interior design as well, but some days I even wonder, I'm like, oh, maybe I should have gone into, <laughs> when architecture gets challenging, I'm going, maybe I should have done that. But, um, you know, I always thought I was going to be an interior designer. And so when I went to Dash, when I applied, you know, they obviously had disciplines that you were interested in, which, and they had you check a box. And so I checked architecture and interior design and they very, you know, very wise 
move put me into architecture and the rest was history because you can definitely do architecture i mean do interior design as an architect but it's a little bit more complex uh to practice architect try and do architecture as an interior designer so hopefully i don't offend anybody but it's the truth well from there you sort of ended up continuing on with architecture went to uh florida a&m university oh yeah rattlers (laughs) What, what was that time like for you Oh, just it it was really, really great. I mean, I've I've even though it was a struggle um, in any architecture school was going to be a very challenging experience. But I loved being at FAMU. I loved being at a black college. You know, I don't think anyone can really love you as much. And and again, I may offend some people with this, but, you know, the black college experience is just very unique. And um, I loved being there. I loved being um, being surrounded. Uh, by so many black, and that's actually how I found out about the National Organization of Minority Architects through going to, you know, going with FAMU, but it was just a great experience. I love, you know, even though I didn't get a chance to do it that much because I was always in or at, at the studio at school, but I love, you know, set time on Fridays at FAMU. I love the feeling of just being there. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a fantastic, fantastic experience for me, something I would never, never change. Do you feel like once you got out into the working world that fam, you really prepared you for that? Oh, yeah. Now, when I hear a lot of conversations about design, I never really tend to hear architecture mentioned as part of the mix. It's always something separate, even though architecture is design. I mean, you're designing structures, buildings, houses, etc. Why do you think that stratification is there? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, you know, <laughs> Like I was saying, I always feel that architecture and graphic design, user experience design, product design, all of that are just, you know, fingers off of the same hand. And so I really, I don't know why, especially because maybe for some people, People, they feel like architecture is more about engineering. I'm not sure. But there are a lot of, there also is kind of a mindset, you know, with the general populace that, you know, the whole architect, and I really hate that term because it's very, um, it's very disparaging. And I I just have a problem with people in, in the architecture profession and people outside of the architecture profession disparaging um, architect, what they call architects, because I feel like we're all part of that same struggle and one architect doesn't have it easier than the other just because you made it to a certain level. So, but getting back to my point, you know, maybe people think of architecture as either being engineering or they think of it in the architect way of it's just an extreme art and you're kind of like this, this whole fountainhead uh, trope, you know, where, you know, you're this moody idealist where, you know, you have to, you, it's your way or no way or whatever. So I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. There's, I think there are two different thoughts where you're either this moody artist <laughs> and, and idealist who won't take no for an answer and everything has to be your way or they think about architecture as being engineering, and it's so not, you know, it's it's all encompassing what I, why I really appreciated being put into the architecture program in high school is because architecture, you have to think about the macro to the micro. So you have to think about the big idea, and then you have to think about the minute, uh, you know, 
small, very tiny, tiny details that probably mo most people don't even notice, you know, when they're in a building. So for me, I just, I think all designers have the same ethos. We all come to it with the same, um, the same understanding. We all use the same tools. We still use color. We still use line. We still use, you know, hierarchy. We use all of the same tools. Um, and we just kind of practice them in, in, in slightly different ways, but it's, basically all the same result. I don't see that much difference between how an architect thinks about um, creating a user experience and working with a community to to just say like on a community on a community center. I don't see the difference in the thinking that way versus the difference versus the way that a user experience designer would think about it or the way a product designer would think about um, you know their, their, their population and who they're dealing with. Like, I don't think the people at Apple thinks differently about the iPod versus how an architect would think about, you know, a, a building. You know, you still, there's still the same core elements there, how you use it, how, how does it feel, all of that. So for me, it's, it's just strange. I don't know why people, why it's in a different category. That boggles my mind, to be honest, because that's not how I practice. I'm glad that you really kind of cleared that up for people because I think folks listening might have been confused to that. Because normally, like you said, when you think of architecture, I do think there is some level of engineering. Like I remember being in high school, we had uh, drafting courses. Mm -hmm. And the drafting courses, I mean, it was it was essentially art. You were you had the the big drafting board and you had your tools, your T-square, your, your pencils, your erasers and all that sort of stuff. But it was always billed as something that was more scientific and engineering and less about creativity it was more discreet and less abstract architecture is definitely it's it's a balance of both you know you obviously have to have um you know some kind of technical technical um, knowledge but also the profession is so i think what people also don't understand is that the profession is so varied you know there there's all these misconceptions that you know as an architect you have to learn, you have to be really good at math you have to know how to draw you have to you know and i know a lot of architects who you know drawing is not their passion and so they may not be the best artists in that way or the best at drawing but there's other ways of thinking about it you know you can think about um, kind of being a tool or, or being um, a conduit in order to galvanize galvanize community. You know, I know of a lot of um, you know a lot of architects who are very focused on community and social justice and activism. In fact, um, there are two um, architects that I know of. One is Michael Ford, and the other one is Brian Lee. And Michael Ford. He kind of, I guess I'll say he kind of pioneered this idea of hip hop architecture and how um, architecture from like, there's an architect called Le Corbusier and also a lot of urban planning um, from New York City kind of, kind of laid this foundation for hip hop culture to rise. And so just thinking about it in that kind of way and then also bring it into community and social justice, there's that element. And then there are architects who think about it 
purely in an architect in an artistic sense you know where they think of architecture as being sculpture and then there are other architects who are very interested and think about it as far as the technical aspects and you know building details and how a building comes together and how you know the door looks and how the the hardware on the door you know so it's so varied just i guess like any you know any discipline of of design you know there it's it's not just one thing you know there are so many people who are interested in different aspects of the field because we live in architecture all the time you know we spend most of our time inside buildings and so there are a lot of different things to think of and i i I think that most people don't even notice architecture unless it's very dramatic like unless they're in a museum or Mm -hmm. anything um you know anything of that nature but what I say, not just in architecture, but in design in general, most people don't notice design unless it's extreme or unless something is wrong. Then you think like, well, who designed this? This doesn't make sense. And why, <laughs> why doesn't this door work? And why is it so cold in here? And why is this window so large? Or right. if you're, you know, using any kind of, um, just I'll go back to the example of your iPod. Well, this, well, this doesn't happen, but, you know, just say in some kind of world, you're like, oh, well, this doesn't feel right in my hand or whatever. Then you notice, then you kind of say, okay, well, this is, well, who did this? But if things work very well, if, you know, if you see a poster and it's really beautiful, um, you know, you can admire it, but you probably don't think someone or a team had to do this, had to craft this, had to think about everything. Um, you, You just don't kind of think about it in that kind of way, unless it's, unless it's dramatic, or unless it doesn't work. Then that's when I think most people think about, well, who designed this? What 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 happened? But otherwise it's just not part of the consciousness. I was just thinking about the new um, the new Smithsonian Museum that opened up recently in oh, DC. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Mm-hmm. And I remember a lot of the conversation around the architecture of the building about how it was shaped. Uh, there was a, a conference actually in Boston this was last year at Harvard. Uh, oh, the Black in Design, yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Were you there? Unfortunately, I could not make it, and this is this is just my own fault because they had um, like sign up for it and all of that, and I don't know what was going on or why I delayed, but you know, you snooze, you lose, <laughs> and I basically <laughs> missed out on it, and it was so frustrating, and so, um, and I also think because I, I do a, a design program, I teach kids design. So I don't know if there was a conflict in scheduling and then I had to cancel one of the last minute. I don't know, but I missed that conference and I'm still kicking myself for it. But I do have some knowledge um, just about the building itself and all of that because Phil Freeland, he yeah. is it's David Ajay and Phil Freeland who worked on the project, who were the major architects for the project. And Phil, I know Phil, number one, from the National Organization of Minority Architects, and he is also the uncle of a friend of mine. And Phil was kind enough. I did a seminar at the American Institute of Architects conference in New Orleans. And Phil was kind enough to be on my panel. Um, I did the the uh panel on museum architecture. And so Phil served, sir, he was part of my panel. And so he talked about the African influences on the, on the building and, you know, the idea of the porch and all of that. And so, yeah, so I know a little, I'm, I'm really dying to go and see, and, and see the museum. I really wish I could have gone opening weekend, but 
as I as I understand it, and as I, just knowing Phil in general, um, and and knowing not knowing David Ajay because we don't know each other, but I've been to enough events where he's been either a speaker or kind of know him on the periphery. People who I know know him very well. You know, just I, I know that the building is spectacular, and all of the feedback that I've been getting is just it's it's a miraculous experience, and I can't wait to experience it myself, and I really can't wait to experience it as a lay person. I mean, I think another reason why, um, even though I wanted to be down there the opening weekend, maybe it's best that I didn't, because I know that there are probably were a lot of architects down there, um, and I just. There are some times when I want to experience a building or experience something like a lay person. Like, you know, I don't want to think about the details or what they could have done to, you know, to to change this detail here. Or, you know, maybe they should have moved that window here. But no, I want to just be able to experience it like a regular person. So um, that's actually what I'm looking forward to is just experiencing it like any other normal person without my lens of architecture or design. I'm interested in going to see what exhibits they have that might be centered around design or art. I mean, I think there might be some around art, like fine art, mm-hmm. but I'm really curious to see if there's anything in there about design. Um, that I, would be I, excellent. You know, that's a, actually a really good point. I'm not sure. So to, to you know, sort of what I was speaking about earlier, the Black and Design Conference. So I, I did go to that conference uh, last oh, year. Oh, you were I was there and it was now I'm really kicking myself for not being there. (laughs) Well, I'll say this. All of the sessions and everything are on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, So you can you can always like go back and and watch everything. But it was the first time I had went to an event like that that affirmed me as both a designer and as a black person. Mm -hmm. And I know that when I was telling people about it, like other designers that I knew, they would look at the website and there was always this sort of pause or this scoff like, oh, well, it's only urban planners or it's only about architects. And I'm like, no, but it's, it's black and design. Like, how many black and design conferences are we going to go to in our career? Like, yeah. let's just go. The tickets are cheap. Let's go. Like, no, seriously, yeah. like the most expensive ticket was 50 bucks. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go to the conference. I mean, it's like a, for me, it was a no brainer because, of course, I'm doing doing the show. But mm-hmm. um, it was such it's sort of like what you said about how architecture deals with going for thinking of, of the macro to the micro, the way that they structured the the program was also in a very similar type of fashion. Like they started, I think as small as the neighbor, I think it was like the building, the neighborhood, the city, right. the region, like they expanded right. out and then they had different panels mm-hmm. for each one. Phil Freelon gave the closing keynote with, uh, with Daryl Crooks, mm-hmm. uh, who has also been on the show. Um, so it was to me, it was so interesting because you could see how people were using design along with kind of a knowledge of culture to mm-hmm. create, you know, anything from programs that help feed the neighborhood to a huge city plaza to restoration efforts of, of African-American landmarks here in the in the United States. And I wanted to try to get more people to go. But the designers I knew who are mostly digital designers mm-hmm. seem to be very kind of turned off by the fact that it didn't have to do with like computers and technology, which I thought was really kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I agree in hearing that does sadden me as well, just because I think there's so much power in the idea that we can pool our resources 
and and create and improve you know a lot of a lot of situations just like you were talking about how they started from the actual building and moved all the way up into regional planning you know there's definitely multiple opportunities for partnership there you know i don't i don't think it's ever a good idea to be siloed where you just want to focus on just what you're good at you know i never come to a situation as having trained being trained as an architect feeling that well if they're not talking about architecture or they're not talking about the actual built environment then there's nothing for me to learn or there's nothing that i can contribute you know i always feel like there are definitely there are definitely ways um to partner with a user experience designer or a graphic designer or a product or whatever whatever kind of design you do and and you know create new paradigms, solve the problem or solve problems in a new way. You know, I think we won't get anywhere if we just keep sticking with our own, you know, staying in our lanes. Like that doesn't help anything. We also need kind of like this cross-disciplinary approach to solving problems because basically that's what the world is now. You cannot solve a problem just kind of like with just the knowledge that you have. You need to be able to pair up or, you know, work in teams with anthropologists and with, you know, not even just designers, but, you know, anyone, uh, city planners, whatever, whatever it is, you need to be able to, um, you know, just pair up and, and, and be able to solve problems in a weird, in a real way because, because com- problems are very complex. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, hmm, that really does. Um, uh, I don't agree with that mindset at all that if it if it has nothing to do with with kind of like my bailiwick then i really have no interest i think there was there would have been a lot of um if if others would have come to the conference then there would have been i i think there would have been a lot of new new ideas that would have been shared and also because if you just think if if a whole room of architects and and urban planners and kind of all that are in a room together you know, yes, obviously we're sharing ideas, but there's no, there's no new, I won't say there's no new thoughts, but everybody contributes something to the broth. And mm-hmm. I think the stew can only be, you know, will only taste better if you add different seasonings to it. And I'm really like milking that metaphor, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I, I think you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, I just, yeah. I can't, yeah, I don't get with the whole idea of, well, it's just, this is what I do and I'm staying in my lane and blah, blah, blah. And I don't think that, you know, anything like I would go, I would definitely go to a user experience uh, design conference or anything else like that. Yeah. Just because I know I would, I would learn a lot and then I could also offer a different perspective. Well, I know that they are going to have the black and design conference again in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause they said that they're, they're going to do it like every other year. Um, but I have to say, even for that first year, it was packed. Oh yeah, standing room yeah, only. Yeah, uh, there I was, and I, I don't know if that was because of the availability of the tickets being so cheap, but there were a lot of students, which I would imagine it's on a college campus. But mm-hmm. I mean, there were I recognized other designers I knew that from New York, from California, that heard about it and were like, "We have to be here." Oh yeah, and oh, they're not yeah. they're not all you know they're not urban planners or architects or anything but they are black designers mm-hmm. and it's a black and design conference so it's like i just need to go just for the fellowship yeah anything else oh yeah definitely well now that they are doing it in 2017 then and i know um 
one student who is there, well, he's a doctoral candidate actually at Harvard. And I know he was involved in it because like watching the YouTube, some of the YouTube videos, I saw him with a mic, passing the mic around. So I need to kind of text him now and say, okay, um, so while it's since 2017, you need to say, <laughs> save me a <laughs> ticket. Make sure I get my ticket now. Make sure I have my in, right. in now, <laughs> definitely. What's yeah. the design scene like in Boston? Rich and varied, but also um, Boston is an interesting city. The reason why I'll, I'll kind of give a you know a multi-part answer, and the reason why I love it up here, or like I told you beforehand, I'm originally from Hartford, Connecticut, and so actually after I went to school in Miami and then went to college in Tallahassee. Um, then I came back up to Hartford, Connecticut and, and started my professional, real professional career there. And the reason why I love Boston is because there's such um, there is such a rich design scene here where there are a lot of architects. This is a very strong architecture town. Um, so there are a lot of architects and there are a lot of architecture schools here. They're like uh, it's Harvard and MIT and Northeastern and Wentworth. There's at least six and um, and I think it's seven, but there are at least six schools who um, teach architecture. But then there is a huge graphic design population and product design and all this. So the conversations are are, are very rich, but I also think that there's also room for a lot more. I don't think that some subjects that we talk about, um, we're like, I think we're we're talking about diversity now and 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 thinking about it, trying to think about it in a holistic way where it's not just diversity as far as ethnicity ethnicity is concerned, but also with ability and, um, you know, just the whole spectrum of what we think about diversity and inclusion. So I think those conversations are being had now, but I think there are a lot, um, there are a lot more, uh, you know, things that kind of need to happen within, within the design scene here in Boston, but it's a lot richer than other places like, you know, Hartford, where I think there was a huge contrast where in Hartford, everyone kind of, at least in my experience, shall I say, that you know you can work in an architecture firm or you can work in a design firm and there and you know you kind of did your work and did what you needed to do and then you kind of went home to to your family or you, you know there was no kind of rich scene and maybe that's changing i haven't been you know i haven't been really deeply involved in the hartford design scene for a few years so maybe that's changing and i'll have to check into that but just the contrast um, from there to Boston, and naturally it would be, it should be a contrast because it's a much larger city. But um, the the design scene here is just is much much richer. There are a lot of more different, you know, schools of thought, which I appreciate. I always appreciate hearing hearing a different attitude about things and different perspectives. So it's it's good. It it can always improve. I think any design scene can always improve, and the conversations can um, build, but. Overall, I'm I'm very happy. I'm happy here. What would you like to see more of from the design community there? Um, I I think I would like to see a lot more. Again, I'm always thinking about new paradigms and and new ways of thinking. So I think I would appreciate a lot more kind of cross disciplinary collaboration. 
when I went to, and I'm sure you've heard of it, Pachacacha, you know, they have it in a lot of uh, cities. Yeah. And so the first one I went to was here and my mind was blown, just totally, totally blown. It was for me, it was like the club for, <laughs> for designers, <laughs> you know, just without, you know, people being sloppy drunk and all of that. But it was it was fantastic. And so being able to see uh, different people, um, whether it's a branding Someone did a branding, you know, an identity package for a restaurant here in the city. And then the next presentation, it was an architect. And then the next presentation, it was a book designer and all of that. So that that's what really fascinates me, um, just cross-disciplinary and different ideas. And so if, if, if more of that could happen, and I'm not saying it doesn't happen, because it definitely does happen here in the city. But I think if there's more of that... Um, you know, then I think then the city can only improve because there are so many issues that we're dealing with here, whether it's housing, you know, affordable housing or transportation or whatever. So I just think that having having different designers and different people, city planners and, and members from city council and all that, if there could be a lot more of that kind of conversation and, and collaboration I think that would be that would be advantageous. What are you excited about at the moment? God, what am I not excited about? And that's the problem. <laughs> that is, is that a problem? It is a problem in that I, I just I'm, I tend to spread myself too thin, and I and I kind of know that about myself. Um, that there are so many things that I'm interested in. And I, I don't know, maybe you have that experience as well as a designer, that you can have an idea in your head, just something you want to do, something you want to get out, something you want to learn. And so it kind of stays with you and stays with you and stays with you until you can get it done. Mm -hmm. And then once you get it out and kind of push it out into, into the world, whatever it is, for me, what happens is then a, a little while later, something else comes up and I have to produce it and produce it and it just I need to get that out in the world and it kind of stays with me and so <laughs> there are so many things that I'm interested in like I said I already do you know architecture and I'm working on architecture projects now but then I'm also doing graphic design I'm trying to get back into lighting design especially because I am a grad student at the Parsons School of Design in New York City and I go there um, once a week I travel from Boston to there once a week. And just the creativity, just the whole environment of creativity is, is kind of like a spiritual battery for me where every time I go, I get charged up and I'm seeing what the fashion students are doing. So then I get interested in that. And then I see what the lighting students are doing. And so I get interested in that. And then I see what the industrial is, you know, so I get excited about everything and kind of want to tackle everything. And, and investigate everything. And so even I was watching like TED Talks, there was a point, honestly, and this was like last year, where there was a point where I was just done, totally done with design, with architecture, with everything. I'm just not, I can't do this anymore. And, and probably every designer has felt that at least one time in their lives where it's just, it's it's too much, just the, the pressure and everything is, is too much. And so I started uh, watching a bunch of TED Talks about strange stuff. Well, not strange, but just totally different, again, out of my comfort zone. So I was watching things on like marine biology and just anything that I could get my hands on that was not design related. But the, the, the 
kind of catch 22 was is that when I, um, you know, I was watching these things and, and learning all of this stuff about like um, plankton and algae and just all of this stuff and growing mushrooms for packaging to use in packaging. And I know I'm kind of like, where is she going with this? <laughs> but when I was kind of doing all of that, it just gave me other ideas on how to incorporate that into my practice and new ideas and, and all of that. And so in essence, I kind of get excited about everything and I'm curious about everything and, and, and how I can incorporate that into, into my practice and into me just being a, a better designer. I'm from the kind of um, frame of thought that I want to know a little bit about everything. And so because of that, I get interested and want to investigate everything and I kind of spread myself too thin. There's only 24 hours in the day. And so you can't do it all, but I try. That's true. I know, <laughs> I, I know I still have creative projects that have been percolating in my mind for the better part of a decade, probably a little mm -hmm. bit longer that I just, I feel like I'm going to get to it eventually. But then, like you said, something else comes up. And then, you know, for me, the big thing that came up, was revision path and now i focused on that and i'm thinking okay revision path's in a good spot maybe now i can focus on that it's like a graphic novel idea that i have but then it's like i'd have to find an artist and i gotta sit down and find time to write and there's all this other you know there's there's so many other things and i know that there will be something else which will probably catch my eye design wise that i may want to try out or may want to do and then that's going to get pushed to the back burner so i know what you mean that's it's a it could be a struggle well, my I guess my attitude on that is again, like I said, there's only 24 hours in a day, but you you do what you can do, and so you know if you have this graphic novel idea, which sounds awesome, <laughs> you know <laughs> if you have this graphic novel idea, well then just a little bit at a time, just you know don't you know if it's if it's if it's in your mind and it's there for 10 years, then it needs to be done, you know yeah. it's it's there for a reason, so just progress progress a little at a time and then you'll you'll make your goal but you know don't ever i don't i don't think it's wise to ever think of it like oh well something's <laughs> pushing it to the back burner blah 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 just do it just just you know do what you can and and, and i i almost want to say enjoy the madness enjoy <laughs> enjoy that there are so many things that are trying to occupy um occupy your space and time you know be productive is is Obviously, you are, but I'm just saying, you know, I I I just enjoy. I guess I enjoy the the multi the multifaceted kind of approach to practice. Yeah, I think my my ideal my ideal week would be, you know, one or two days working on an architecture project, and then the next day I'm going to meetings and talking about, you know, an installation or an art exhibit, you know, curating an art, art exhibit, and then the next day working on a graphics project, and then the next day thinking about a film, and then, you know, that kind of thing. And luckily, um, since I've started my practice, I'm, I'm able to kind of craft my life into becoming the designer that I've always wanted to be when I, since I, when I started up, when I, you know, when I signed up for this whole thing, uh -huh. you know, um, really just being diverse and, and kind of multifarious in the way I think about, think about design in general. So yeah, dude, get your novel out. Get your, <laughs> that's, my, that's my goal. I'm going to, I'm going to start 
some kind of progress with it in 2017. Like I did some stuff this year. Like I got an artist to commission a few like small pieces because I thought that was going to inspire me to write about them. If I could really visualize the characters outside of my head, that would help. Mm-hmm. And it helped for a little bit, <laughs> but I, I didn't, I didn't stay focused on it. And that was, that was totally my fault. So I got, I know exactly what you mean. So with your, with your own practice now, um, what's, what's that like? Like kind of walk me through what's a, a typical day like for you. Say you have the, the option to kind of craft your life now the way you want it to be. So, and, and, and well, first off, I think what I will just say and, and put it out there kind of like in full disclosure, and a, a lot of people have this experience, so I'm not saying anything new. Having your own practice is hard. It's just incredibly, incredibly difficult, but it is incredibly challenging. I always say that starting my own practice was the smartest thing that I ever done hands down, the smartest thing that I've ever done. But I'll also say that is the most challenging thing that I've ever done, hands down. So because it's just me, you know, there's also the business side of it, which I'm okay and I'm trying to be much better at it. But, you know, there's obviously, there's accounting that you have to think about. There's, you know, there's taxes, there's this, there's that. There's so many, just the, the actual business side. And I think that, as designers, we don't focus on the, the actual business side of it, you know, because that's not how we're trained. Yeah. And that's not the fun stuff, you know. So, you know, we, we don't kind of focus on the business side as much or learn about the business side as much as we need to. Um, so then there's that element. But then there's also just trying to juggle different types of projects and, and then actually going after different types of projects and getting the work. And so there is um, an element to my practice. There's also there's obviously the design portion where, you know, I find a project, whether it's graphic or whether it's architecture or whatever, and dealing with that. But then there's also this exploratory side of, of my practice where, you know, I investigate I don't know. Um, I'll just go back to where I'm investigating lighting and and how to how to do that. And so I always want to make time for the exploratory part of my practice. And then there's also the third element of my well, there's um, 50 elements of my practice, but um, <laughs> the the educational portion of my practice, where I never I never really thought of myself as being a teacher, but it keeps kind of coming up. And so I've just embraced it. I worked with learning by design here in Massachusetts and I, you know, I did that. And then when I was actually in um, undergrad, I worked because I had a consortium agreement while I was at FAMU. I went to, I was in DC for a year. So I did a program, City Vision at the National Building Museum. And I was teaching kids about, you know, their neighborhoods and design and all that. So I've been kind of teaching since I was in college and so, and and I kind of kept doing it on and off. And so I, I just realized that that is something that even though it wasn't intentional, it, it has been a very strong part of my career. I mean, that's such a really, I, I think when you mentioned that, what came to mind for me was, what's the one I mentioned earlier, the Interact Project, which is in the Bay Area that helps uh, young students kind of get an idea or a mind about design, but I think they start much younger than what you're talking about. Cause you're talking about teenagers, like high school age, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interact project, I think is kids maybe 
a bit younger. I think it's maybe like eight to fourteen or something. Really? Like that. Yeah. Oh, I have to. I'll, yeah, I have to look that up. That's fantastic. No, but that no, is I, absolutely fantastic. I, I think what you're doing with with uh, with Future Prep 101 is is really great. I just recently spoke at Facebook, and when I was talking there, and and people were asking me, you know, about black designers and like what's kind of the number one thing, you know, what's the the overarching goal or or theme that you've gotten from all of the interviews that you've done. And I said, the thing that I've gotten the most from people is that there's a woeful lack of mentorship in mm-hmm. the design community. Like everyone kind of seems to be walking the road alone or they're doing mm-hmm. it themselves or they're kind of just gleaning information from different sources. But that, that mentorship from someone that has gotten where you want to be mm-hmm. is just, it's not there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and and that's the thing that I've witnessed that as well. And like I was saying before, that was that was not my experience. I was really, really lucky in the fact that there was someone for me every single step of the way. And even during the times when, you know, I wanted to abandon architecture because it was just so difficult, <laughs> even now, <laughs> you know, and it seems like whenever I want to say no, I'm done with this, something always comes like immediately to change my mind, whether it's a per- you know, I'm talking to someone or whether I see, um, you know, someone who has been struggling with a, a, a particular facet of the field and they do. And then all of a sudden they balloon and they do something really well, they become really successful at it. Um, I have a friend, Stephen Chung, who for and he's a wonderful architect, just brilliant. Um, he had been struggling to bring architecture and design as far as thinking and building program, just public programming for years and years and years and years. And he finally got it a few years ago. Um, it's this program. I'm not sure if it's still on, but it's called cool spaces and it was on PBS. And so he, you know, he was able to do that. And so it was certain, certain points where I was upset with the feeling like I can't do this. And then right then and there, you know, Steve, I, I saw Steven, you know, be able to bring this programming after knowing how he was struggling with it for so long, you know, and so those kind of things inspire me and kind of snap me right back into the profession. And so what I'm saying is that I've been blessed to have so many mentors, people who have been sticking, sticking by me for so long, you know, and guiding me and guiding my path. And so I realized just how lucky I I am, you know, with that. And so it would be, it would be just horrible. It would be almost blasphemous for me not to try and not try and return that, not try and pass that on, you know, because again, we need more voices. We need more spice to the broth. And, and I think that you can, I don't want to see my profession. I don't want to see the creative destruction of my own profession. You know, there are so many professions where, you know, because of technology or whatever else, can can easily kind of fade, you know, into the distance. And even people are talking about it where it's like, oh, will we really need architects? Will we really we really need, you know, this and that? And I don't want to, I don't want to see my profession die off. So for me to be proactive in that is for me to mentor other people, you know, mentor other people and bring them up into the ranks and, you know, and say, okay, well, the way I'm practicing architecture and the way I'm practice, practicing design today obviously is not going to be the same the way you practice it 20 years from now. But what I can do is give you the tools and, and give you the strength and whatever else that's needed 
to, you know, to bring the profession into, you know, into to advance the profession in general. So now we're recording a little bit of an addition to this interview, uh, because when we recorded earlier, this was before the election. Now it is after the election. We know who the new president elect is going to be. And we're God already seeing, <laughs> we're God already seeing the shock waves that are happening because of that. Um, one thing that I, I saw that was very interesting, of course, you know, a lot of groups are coming out either for or against uh, the new president elect. And AIA, the American Institute for Architects, uh, the CEO issued a statement that uh, really ended up getting some widespread backlash, including this this campaign called Not My AIA or hashtag Not My AIA. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, well, first I, I need to say kind of like full disclosure. Um, I've actually met Bob Ivey uh, a few years ago, uh, back in 2012, uh, the national AIA gave me an award, um, you know, it was a national award or whatever. So there's definitely like a picture of me and Bob Ivey and the then AIA president <laughs> floating around somewhere. So okay. I just want to, you know, give that as far as full disclosure, but um, right after the election, and I think it was, I don't even believe it was a week after the election. I think it was really kind of like a few days after the shocking election results were, you know, um, we found out about who our president-elect would be, and it's really hard for me to even say, hence why I'm stuttering a bit. Um, Bob Ivey, basically, he put out a memo that said, uh, in essence, that, the, and I think we have like 85,000 members or 89,000 members of the AIA, that the AIA and all of its members um, fully intend to, and again, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but um, fully intend to work with the Trump administration in order to, um, you know, move forward. And we are looking forward to working on projects of infrastructure and blah, blah, blah. And it was it was about a page memo, and it was just incredibly, incredibly, incredibly tone deaf. Um, especially because, in light of the makeup of the AIA, the AIA is only about sixteen percent women. Um, it's about you know one or two percent African American. I think it's like five percent Latino. Uh, a negligible, negligible full, sorry, <laughs> amount of Native Americans. There's obviously the LGBT community that's part of the AIA, but we're still um, basically uh, small numbers. And so for Bob Ivey to put out that statement and not consult anyone, not even to think that that could be insulting was really, really troubling. And um, so naturally everyone, or I won't say everyone, but there was a big part of the constituency who created this hashtag and said, no, we don't, we don't co-sign with this. We do not, you know, we do not appreciate you speaking on behalf of all of us. Um, this is not what I'm paying my, my dues for. No. So that's kind of where the, the hashtag began. And one of the most, uh, I think, ardent responses that I saw was actually from the Boston chapter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, while well, I'm very pleased to be part of this chapter and, I'm, you know, um, the president, who, her name is Tamara Roy, she just put out this, you know, put out the mem memo saying, <laughs> again, basically echoing everyone else's statements that, you know, you have a, a president-elect 
who number one um, did not does not co does not understand climate change, and that's one of the strongest things that the AIA is supposed to champion, talking about sustainability, talking about climate change, talking about helping other communities. And if you have a president-elect who openly and proudly, um, you know, insulted basically anyone who wasn't a white male, <laughs> you know, how, how do you think that we're supposed to, you know, get behind this or, or even be silent about it? So... Bob Ivey definitely issued an apology, and I think there was a second apology. But, you know, um, many members have withdrawn their membership. Um, the media, I just heard yesterday that the director for media relations for the AIA, Scott Frank, I believe the gentleman's name is, he just quit in, uh, in response to the AIA's kind of mishandling of the situation. And so, you know, there's obviously been... Um, a reverb effect because of this short-sightedness and um, <laughs> it was just totally obviously in the wrong key. I almost think that it would have been best to stay silent. I mean, it still would have been disconcerting if the AIA did stay silent about this, but at least, at the very least, it wouldn't have been as uh, insulting, as, as hurtful, as just egregious as it was, you know, especially when architecture in general is viewed as pretty elitist, you know, even though there are like thousands of architects that are working diligently in communities, in government, within the nonprofit se sector, you know, within healthcare, within, you know, they're teaching, there's so many, um, you know, so many architects who are just very hard at work, you know, in communities and working on uh, people who are disenfranchised and people who can't speak for themselves as far as, you know, their design. You know, actually, I'm going to change that because people can always speak for themselves as far as what they want in their communities and everything else. It's just whether those voices are actually listened to, you know, and taken seriously. That's that's actually the problem. So, you know, if architecture is thought of as elitist and all of that, then <laughs> the the response from the AIA about working with someone who is incredibly elitist, even though his supporters don't think so for some reason, then obviously what what other message does that send? You know, it just kind of all besides the regular um, kind of insulting thing about not being sensitive to race and culture and sex and you know sexual orientation and all that. But if your main platform is talking about building a wall, <laughs> and then we <laughs> issue a statement saying, "Oh yeah, we're we're willing to work with you on infrastructure projects," then uh, duh, <laughs> it just makes it makes it look like we're licking our chops for right. projects, you know. And I'm sorry, that's just yeah. Not a good look at all. What's the one accomplishment that you're the most proud of? Oh, man. Uh, that is a good question. <laughs> I think that what I am most proud of, and there, there's been a lot of things that, you know, um, hmm. I think what I'm most proud of is just me being able to, 
<laughs> me sticking with my own practice <laughs> for, for since 2011. I started in 2011. So I think because I'm still here, I think that's what I'm, I'm most proud of, that I actually have the tenacity to want to stick with it. Because um, I think no matter what, I would always be a creative person and always have to do something um, you know, my profession would have to be creative. I can, I've learned that I can't do anything else. Even if I wanted to, I can't do anything else. So I think that's my greatest accomplishment that I'm still here. And then also that, again, um, you know, that I'm trying to do whatever I can to help the next generation prosper in their careers and bring it to bring design much further than what I could probably ever imagine. You know, if, if I can do that and so if I can help mentor people and then I can also create something, one thing, whether it's a building or whether it's a, a film or a, whatever it is, a, a piece of furniture, because I'm interested in doing that as well, <laughs> you know, designing furniture, whatever it is, if I can do that and have it last, you know, then, then that's what I'm proud of. So I guess... I guess I'm proudest of whatever my next thing is. Mm. Yeah. Whatever whatever that next thing is. I'm always reaching for, for something else. So, yeah. Well, I guess to, you know, to that point, where do you see yourself in the next few years? What do you want to be doing? Oh, um, man. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's so much. So I'm interested in, again, trying to investigate lighting and then also furniture. And I... You know what? What I what I'm doing right now is I'm leaving myself open. I won't say that I don't have a plan because I do, but I think the way I've crafted my life and the and my attitude on on design is at first I was kind of very very hard on myself. Where I was going, I should be doing more architecture. I should be doing this. I should be doing that because of how I was trained. But now I think of it that I just want to I want to have the skill set. Hence why I'm, you know, at Parsons learning strategic design and management and learning business and design thinking. I want to be open to whatever opportunity comes to me. Um, so whether it is, whether I'm designing, whether I'm asked to design a building or whether I'm asked to design a brand, brand and identity package for someone or whether I'm asked to design I don't know, just say, I'm thinking about it now, just saying like a voting system um, for the city of Boston to help with voter turnout or, you know, d designing something like that. You know, for me, it's all the same thing. And I'm so I'm really trying to make sure that my process and, and what comes to me and, and how my practice evolves is just very organic. Whatever I Whatever I'm asked to design, I want to be open to that. And so... I really want to say I have a specific traje trajectory. It's just learning. It's just constant learning, constantly pushing pushing my comfort zone and pushing the boundaries of what my practice can do. And wherever that takes me, it takes me. I like that. Where can our audience kind of find you online so they can follow you and your work and everything? Okay, so my website is uh, AishaDB.com, and so it's A-I-S, like Sam, H-A, and then D, like Dennis, B, like boy.com, AishaDB.com. I'm also on Twitter, AishaDBDesigner, uh, and yeah, Twitter, I'm on Instagram, naturally, um, <laughs> and it's kind of, Instagram is kind of like a mix, so it's like stuff from my practice, 
And then I also have a t-shirt line um, for, for creative people. So there's creative type, and then there's also love black t-shirts that I have. Oh, yeah. So if you want to get those, <laughs> you can find those at market is mkt.com backslash Aisha DB dash designer, creative type t-shirts and also love black. And that's actually been doing, that t-shirt line has actually been doing very well. So I'm very pleased about that as well. Um, yeah. And then, like I said, my Instagram account is like a mixture of my practice and then my t-shirts and my travels around the, the country and the globe. And then also food, because I like to eat a lot. So <laughs> there's like a lot of food stuff on that. Is that yeah. also Aisha B. Designer, your Instagram? Aisha D. B. Designer, yes. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I'm not like on Snapchat or anything. This, this, it's like, it's too much. There's too much. There's Snapchat. There's, I don't know if anybody does Vine anymore. There's like another one outside of that. I can't keep up. It's too much. So I, I think I'm going to just kind of stick with Instagram, my, my professional Facebook account, which is Aisha DB Designer, and then my regular website and all of that. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to try and stick with those and do those, you know, fairly well and kind of let let the and twitter and let the rest of it go that sounds good well aisha thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the show i mean thank you you're, you're thank the first you. architect that i've had on the show but i mean aside from everything that you mentioned with architecture just this overall kind of multifaceted way that you look and you talk about design i think is something that is really going to be inspiring for people because um, because often when people think about design, I think it's you know limited in specific realms. And what you're showing is that even though this is what you've been trained in, there's also these other aspects and areas of design that might be pulling from the knowledge you know, it might be pulling from other inspiration. But you feel armed as a creative to go forth and create and make things without being kind of you know cloistered in a specific box so yeah uh, you can't it's just it's i mean for me it's just boring i can't and i can't just kind of stay and do and do one thing just it's just how my mind works obviously you know that's not that's not going to be how everyone sees it but just for me the way i need to practice and the way i need to just the way i need to become better is just looking at different types different types of design and different ways of thinking and even from not even from people just in design but even different professions you know i'm interested in and in hearing how they do things just because you know that's how you learn that's how you grow absolutely again thank you for coming on the show i appreciate it thank you so much and have a good day thank you thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week Big thanks to Aisha Densmore-Bay and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Aisha and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work at Facebook, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like their design prototyping tool, Origami Studio, popular device templates, even diverse hands for mock-ups. Like how hard is it sometimes to find a black hand holding a cell phone? Facebook will give that to you. Facebook Design has that for you. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 14 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow their businesses, recapture sales, and make money in their sleep. 
And who doesn't want free sleep money? Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domain. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? And you can save 10% off your first purchase by using our promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Don't worry, RJ is still here. I just edited this episode because I gave him the month off, so he'll be back on the next episode. Don't worry. Uh, if you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two, and it really, really helps the show by bumping us up in the iTunes rankings for Design Podcast, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. The new year is here, so if you're looking to get that side project off the ground, refresh your business website, or start some email marketing, visit our website at yepitslunch.com and send us an email. And if you like the work we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are told in their own words. So if you support us, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.